0: Well, on our show today, we have a very special guest. We have Michelle Falzona, who right now in Calgary, Alberta, in the beautiful province that has maybe a little bit of gloomy weather right now, but But (laughs) the beautiful mountains is our guest on today's show, a women's fitness and movement coach who joins us to chat about a lot of different things, busting myths and philosophies around health, and fitness for women. So Michelle, thanks for joining me on today's episode.
1: Thank you, Matthias. You nailed the last name. I appreciate that. Um, and I'm grateful to be on your show and um, being in your world today. So sending you gratitude.
0: So I want to I start things a little bit off with what we were chatting about before we started recording. You originally from Toronto, but you moved to Calgary very recently. Mm-hmm. What sparked the move to Calgary at, at this time?
1: Mm, great question, Matthias. Um, you know, I tried to move the mountains to Toronto, but it was a pretty big project. So I'm like, you know what? Fine. I'll just come here. <laughs> oh no! Uh Well, that was a big reason. Yes, I'm a big nature person. I love the outdoors. And for me, nature has always felt expansive, safe, nurturing, um, and very essential for my mental and physical health. So that was a big reason. And I also think I was craving a lot of growth and you've had so much experience living across Canada. I'm sure you can attest to this living in a different place where maybe you don't have much family or friends. It really, you know, your back's against the wall and you've got to navigate things and get out of your comfort zone. And I've always enjoyed getting out of my comfort zone because I know it just leads to more growth personally, professionally, relationally. So, Um, definitely craving growth and Toronto was not really aligned with my values at the end of the day. Right. Very hustle bustle kind of city, concrete jungle. Um, You know, everyone goes to work and then they either, you know, stay home or go out for dinner. It was just kind of the same thing on repeat. So I was looking for change and uh, Calgary was, was that stop.
0: What were the places that you considered living before deciding on Calgary?
1: Uh, Definitely BC. So um Vancouver. However, I wasn't up for seven months out of the year of rain. So that was the biggest return. And also obviously like the cost of living was higher. Um, even though like I have a lot of friends there, I'm actually not too far from them now. And uh yeah, so that would I I would say would be my was my second option.
0: And what's been the best thing about living in Calgary so far? compared to where, where you were living in Toronto before.
1: It's very calm here. Matias. Like, um, just people move slower. Um, it's, it's quieter. Like when I'm on a mountain, you don't hear even like leaves ruffling. It's just so peaceful. Um, I would say that that has been the number one thing. Just like, and we can see how that affects mental health, right? Just less external chatter lowers the internal chatter that we have. So, um, yeah, I def- definitely feel like a, a lot of ease and calmness in my life. How
0: long have you been thinking about moving from Toronto? <laughs>
1: um, I've always wanted to. So, my uh, I, I studied at York University, and one of my good friends there is actually from Victoria, um, on the island in BC. And I visited back in, I think like 2014. And I was like, this is Canada, what (laughs) this exists. Uh, And then I went like three or four more times. And um, I was like, there's more, there's more to Canada outside of Ontario. Um, I would say it was September 2022. So last year, Matthias, I went to a retreat in Gimli that my business coach was hiring and we got really deep on values and, um, you know, designing our life and around our business and whatnot. And moving was the catalyst to ensure that my business and my mental health, my physical health was in, in tip top shape. Right. So. It wasn't like September of last year changed my life. Um, It was a phenomenal weekend. And after that, I was very strategic on implementing specific plans and milestones to get me closer to this move. Um, And then I made the move in July of this year. So I think it was about an eight-month journey. Yeah.
0: I know from experience when when you start to debate where you want to live and why and the reasons for it it's not really a conversation that a lot of people often end up having with themselves and from when you look at the the different places in canada where people live i think there's obviously a lot of stereotypes that exist from outsiders around certain cities but i think that there's a common theme amongst people who never leave their hometown is that is thinking that this is all that exists. It's as if they're in the Truman Show and, and mm-hmm. all that can go through their head is the same routine going to work or the same people you see or the same restaurants or the same gym or whatever it is. And even when I lived in Toronto, I found that a lot of people there couldn't even fathom or didn't think about anything outside of Ontario. Even when they heard of places that were in Ontario, but not right next to the GTA, it was as if you were talking about another country. And a great example of this for Winnipegers listening is when you talk about places like Kenora or Fort Francis or whatever, any of those towns in Northwestern Ontario are just casual stops, places that people from Manitoba are very familiar with. But if you went and talked to somebody who is from anywhere in the GTA and you were talking to them about places that exist in Northern Ontario, farther than Sudbury. it's not even it's not a real city it's not a real thing it's it just ontario is the little small pocket the horn located right next to a few u.s states and that's it there's nothing else there's there's no northwestern ontario there's no northern ontario there's nothing close to hudson's bay there's nothing close to rural quebec whatever and so this idea that where you live is the only is the only realm of existence that you can you be you can be in i I think that that's an area where people probably need to challenge themselves more when it comes to growth is thinking and expanding your life beyond where you were originally from.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, Matthias, I'd love to flip that back to you. Why do you feel people have that narrative or that ideology in their head of this Toronto is home and this is it?
0: Well, I mean, I think the reason why people have that is because the fact that it's comfortable, it's familiar. If you talk to any person who's ever gone on a personal growth journey or is in the, I mean, any person who is on one because it never really ends. Yep. (laughs) The hardest part is when you face uncertainty. That is the absolute most difficult part. People want things black and white. They want a convenience. They want it spelled out. They want it 100% guaranteed. And when that doesn't exist, then things get very shaky or very hazy. and. Any person who goes through the experience of feeling uncertainty around big decisions or things that are tied closely to the core pillars of your life—it's almost like being in purgatory, but without knowing exactly if you can go up or down. And so, if Toronto is a great example of a place where I met a lot of people who were frustrated with the with the the, the situation of of the city, the fact that oh, there's so many people or it's so expensive or it takes forever to get anywhere. Okay, well, you don't have to live here. And I'm not saying that flippantly as an insult or saying that you have to uproot your life or you don't like it too bad, so sad. Well, but you have to ask yourself, if you really don't like it, are you willing to move? Are you willing to go somewhere? Are you willing to try something different? And if not, then what can you do to change the situation of living in Toronto? And when I was in school there, there was three of us who were from outside of Ontario, one being from Quebec. So it's almost like the same situation. And the other two guys was me and another guy who was ironically from Calgary. And when people like, man, I hate this. I don't want to have to live in Hamilton. I don't have to live in, in Georgetown in order for me to afford living. Well, then don't. I don't know what else to tell you. Like, if you really complain about it that much, then do something about it. But again, that, that takes way more effort than just accepting what is and, living with it.
1: Yeah. John Maxwell has a quote. He said, um, making mistakes, having setbacks, getting uncomfortable is the price of admission if you want to improve. So what do you want? Because once you get clear on what you want, the world responds with clarity. And I think a lot of people feel uncomfortable with getting clear on what they want, because that means that they might need to change and change is unfamiliar, and that's uncomfortable, and rightfully so, because it's supposed to be uncomfortable. Because on the other side of it is growth, and I think a lot of us fear that discomfort because it's just it's it's not always fun. Let's be real. <laughs> Until we experience the, the the you know the the benefits of it, when we're like, wow, I'm so glad I did that. Um, and I think fitness and strength training. You know, improving our lifestyle has so much ripple effect. Um, just teaching those lessons outside of our health in other areas of our life.
0: Well, from any fitness coach or any person I've talked to who takes health and fitness seriously, a lot of them will say that the the number one thing that people should prioritize in their life if they want to make any serious changes or experience serious growth anywhere else is to prioritize health and fitness first, because that is the, and and I am a believer of this as well, and that it's the true foundation of experiencing success, growth, change, becoming a better person in whatever realm it is that you want to improve, because it is the number one thing that you can control. If you can move your body, if you can lift weights, or if you can run, or if you can decide what you put into your body or not. Those are all things that you have immediate control over and that don't require extraneous talents or other factors or people contributing to that. It's all within you. So that I'm glad you grabbed the quote from John Maxwell because it's, it hits home. I mean, Mm -hmm. I'm sure in any of the clients or people that you've interacted with, Somewhere along the line, you've probably had a similar type of conversation. If you've ever been met with resistance as to why you should prioritize your health and fitness,
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. well, I think that's also something we can celebrate, right? Like the fact that, um, you know, it is challenging to go through these things. I think such an important step in anyone's health and wellness journey is acknowledging that they're that it's not always going to be comfortable, right? And once we can actually accept that, we become more open to okay i'm going to anticipate this we can actually have strategies okay the discomforts coming up how can we move through that and that just builds this level of resilience when it comes to not only health and fitness things when we need to have that difficult conversation with someone when we need to ask for a promotion you know all these things when we can get comfortable with moving through difficulty and resistance you can imagine just that that ripple effect that it has so accepting that it's going to exist is extremely powering in of of itself. So I think that's important to to acknowledge.
0: So you had said that being in the world of health and fitness is something that you've been thinking about doing for a long time and that you've had a lot of experience. And what was it that initially set you on the path of wanting to work in this realm?
1: Mm. Sit back story time. (laughs) Um, I was in, Yes, this was grade eight. Um, you know, in grade eight, there's track and field, and you can try out for all of the uh, events. And um, at recess, there was tryouts for shot put. And my grade eight teachers, like Michelle, you should try out. I'm like, are you are you sure? Like, like I'm a like I have the body of a runner. Like I'm not designed for a shot put. Um, And she's like Michelle, like you never know, give it a try. So I was like, fine. I'm kind of doing this for you. Um, So I did it, and then uh, I ended up making it in my grade. And I felt so bad because I knew there were other, other girls that were much like stronger than me, and that would have loved to have done the meet. Um, So that was like a little disheartening. At the same time, it was like an eye opener for me because I'm like, I don't stand a chance at some of the other girls that are I'm going to compete against at this meet. So. I ended up that night going into my basement. My dad had like these old school weights, you know, that you have to actually fasten to adjust and whatnot, the the, the York weights. And I remember doing like shoulder presses, lateral raises, even getting the dumbbell and like spinning it around without throwing it. Um, don't want to do it. Didn't want to do any damage to, to, to the basement. Um, and I was feeling stronger and I felt more confident. And then going into that meet, I felt better about myself. Um, still got my butt kicked. I came in dead last. Um, Nonetheless, I was like, wow, this, this strength training thing is like pretty cool. And I, how I started doing those movements is just went on like bodybuilding.com. And like, I was looking at programs. I was in grade eight, like, what is that? 14 years old. Um, I didn't know what I was doing. And it was after that. And, you know, years of playing soccer, tearing my ACL, going to rehab, um, you know, living with sciatica that all really added to strength training has been the antidote to managing my confidence, my chronic pain, and and challenges even with body image. Right. So, yeah, uh, that's that's pretty much the story. It all started in in grade eight there, and then I pursued kinesiology and more schooling and whatnot. And I absolutely I absolutely love what I do. Like I can't picture myself doing anything else.
0: It's so fascinating that an experience that gives you the auto- that gave you the autonomy over your performance, even the, even though the, despite the fact that you finished last or didn't achieve what your objective was having autonomy in that situation made a big impact on your view of it. And this is something that I've, I've been reading about recently as, as it pertains to how how you get kids engaged. And one of the things being is like, you give them more choice and you allow them to take control of the things that they participate in. And I think the same can be said for adults. And oftentimes I don't think people really consider the different activities or the different ways in which they can change their routine change their habits change their activities and oftentimes people and i especially see this sometimes in athletes or people who used to be high level athletes they assume that they can just coast off of whatever their level of athleticism was when they were in their mid-20s till the time they're 60 and they just blame it on old age
1: yeah yeah no well like i'll ask you do you like to be told what to do
0: i mean i don't know i got. Does anybody like, I think most like, yeah. even if people say that they, they don't mind it, I don't think deep down that they, they really like it. They just don't have the confidence to speak up yet.
1: Well, yeah. And that's why I asked you that question. Cause it reflects back to autonomy. No one likes to be told what to do. They like to know that they have freedom of choice because that is empowering. And that means going back to our conversation on control. They have a sense of control, and that feels really empowering and feels really good, which is why, even when I program with my clients, I'm always asking them, Okay, how do you feel about changing this exercise? What would you want to change it to? Um, and I'll, maybe I'll give them options if they're like, I'm not sure. Okay, we can change the tempo. We can change the weight. What are you feeling? Because that also helps them honor their body and tap into, Okay, what would I truly enjoy more? And that when they have that choice, and they make progress with it. They feel a part of a partnership, you know, a collaboration. Of I'm an advocate of my health. My coach is simply a lighthouse that's just guiding me, right? Um, and that's my goal. I don't want to work with my clients forever. I want to teach them all these principles so that they can be a leader in their life when it comes to yes, lifting weights, you know, improving lifestyle habits and all that stuff and also other areas of their life. Um, So I do, I like how we talked about autonomy. I think that is huge.
0: You brought up an interesting point there with like, I like that analogy used when working with your clients is that you want to be like a lighthouse guiding them. And I think one of the toughest things in the coaching industry is that when you are working on your own, especially you, the lifeblood of your business depends on having clients. It's not just on, well, I had a few people once upon a time, and now they've, they've gone off uh, on their own. And, but I think especially, and this is what I want to dive more into is, is as it pertains to, to women in the industry of health and fitness and wellness is this idea of autonomy and having, power and confidence in the decisions you make versus feeling like you need the crutches of a coach or you need that support because otherwise you wouldn't be able to do it on your own i think that's something that is at least for at least for myself i i noticed over time okay you know i want to be able to learn and do things on my own and maybe not everybody wants to deep dives or be an extreme expert, but what makes you approach working with your clients in a way that you want to empower them to be able to do things on their own versus trying to reel in as many people as possible and and not to say you you, you intend to make them dependent on you, but being okay if you feel like they lean on you a lot more.
1: Mm-hmm. So wait, are you asking like why I have this philosophy mm-hmm. of of weaning clients off. Um, I think of my mortality a lot, Matthias, like we have a very short lifespan on this earth. And when I think of death, I think about how can I have the greatest impact in the lives that I have the blessing of interacting with. And for me, it's, I do like feel like long-term relationships are so important. And I still keep in touch with my clients that I was training 10 years ago. Like we still communicate. If I'm on this planet for such a short time, Matthias, I want to be able to help as many people as I can and me letting go of a client or even them firing me is not quote unquote, a bad thing. That's a sign of growth, right? They are able to do things on their own and maybe, you know, inspire other people to do the same. So it really, this philosophy, this, this business model, um, it feels very fulfilling as a coach when they're like, Michelle, I'm good. Or maybe they like have different tiered programs. Maybe they graduate to the next one where I see them less, right? So um, it's very empowering when um, a female client feels like a leader in their life and feels like they are mastering wellness, mastering movement, mastering their lifestyle. Because like that just has, you know, the ripple effect it's going to have in their life. So for me, it's like, I think about my mortality a lot and being able to make the greatest impact during my short time here is something that is very, very valuable to me.
0: Wow. That's, it's, that's powerful. And it's something to, to really consider a lot. The classic, I I believe it's Latin, you know, uh, quote, memento mori, remember death. And you're right. It is something that we need to think about, not in a depressing and cynical way, but in a friendly reminder to get moving on the things that are going to allow you to impact the world positively because we only have so much time and health and fitness, whether it's the main part of your life or a small part of it, I think has a more profound impact in terms of the percentage than most of the things that people will be involved in because whether it's whether it is the main focus of your life or not it's still something that creates a huge impact on how you were able to do everything else
1: mm-hmm.
0: like mm-hmm. if you as a business owner let's say Let's say your business has nothing to do with working out or fitness or any of that stuff. But if you still take care of yourself and work out and prioritize your health and wellness before you are forced to take care of yourself in illness, then the the impact that you were able to make in your business will improve an immense amount. And I think it, it can't be understated how important it is to make sure that you take control of how you move your body, what you put into your body, because you can upgrade your watch, you can upgrade your car, you can upgrade your house, you can upgrade your phone, but you can't upgrade your body. You're only given one.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, you make me think of Alex hormozy's quote, people change when they're in a lot of pain, something along those lines of like, maybe people aren't ready to pursue like step into their wellness journey because things are not that bad and it's not enough of a push for them to, you know, make change very similar with, um, relationships. Maybe it's not bad enough until it gets really bad where, you know, there's abuse, there's divorce, and then change is going to happen. Right. So, um, and another thing that, so you made me think of more of the philosophy of, um, why it can take some time to change and also like the model i have is designed to help you save money in the long run a lot of people think coaches are expensive um and the the it, you know there's a lot of reframing around money beliefs of investing in yourself and all that the goal of my business is to get you to spend less money the more you work with me right because I want this investment to have a high ROI, return on investment for the rest of your life. So um, I think it's if people can see the reframe of, okay, it might cost this right, like this much right now, what is it going to cost me if I don't change? One of my clients the other day is like, I'm like, why do you work with me? I'm just so curious. We I have very like fun and kind of playful relationships with with my clients. And she's like, Michelle, I don't want to go to the hospital. I don't want to go to the doctor. Like I want to save time and money working with you because I know it's going to cost me time, money uh, and and energy to do things in the future if I'm not well. And I was like, wow, how many people think that far ahead? And when you think of momento mori, you know, we, we must die. Like, I think death is scary. Um, I think death is very real. And I think it helps us put things into perspective in this moment Um, and has like you're, you're encouraged to to question, what am I doing? Is it in alignment with my values? Is it, is my future self going to think, think before it? So I think there's, yeah, a lot to be said there. The
0: it's, it's a, as a perfect example you used talking about the, it's the inverse cost of things. When people think, oh, well, it costs, let's say, whatever, whether it's a gym membership or hiring a coach, doesn't matter. Whatever money that you spend towards health and fitness, and people will say, oh, well, my parents actually, for example, they said to me, like, oh, Matias, you know, like, Good Life, that's so expensive to go to Good Life. And I'll, whatever, it's $80 a month. Oh, that's so expensive. So expensive. And I was like, okay. What is the inverse cost of not going? Basically, you are saving money to have worse health. It would be the same as if someone paid you 80 bucks that you didn't have before for your health to deteriorate because that is the inverse of spending money to improve your health in whatever way it is. It can be in a coach. It can be on a membership. And, and now listen, this is not even to dive into the realm of what is the exact value and where do you get the most value from certain program? Like there's tons of coaches out there. There's tons Mm -hmm. of gyms out there. You may not necessarily need to work with a coach that trains celebrities or charges 10,000 a month. If that is not where you're going to get the most value for what your goals are. But having said that, if you are considering investing in someone who you believe can actually Bring you closer to achieving the goals or establishing the habits and the lifestyle that you want to help you live the healthiest in the long term, then what really is the downside of that? People will invest tens of thousands in a university degree. They'll invest hundreds of thousands into their home. Something that people say, oh, it's an asset appreciates over time. Okay, well, but you're not renting it out. So it's, it's this fictitious idea. Like
1: your body appreciates over time too. Right. (laughs) Right.
0: But that and that's exactly it. People will spend money on all these things on cars, you know, houses going to school. And, and what's even worse, like, those are all things that are, you know, you, you need in some capacity, but then what's even worse is that people will spend money on things that they don't actually really need. And then they'll complain or that like, that's whatever I sleep, you know, but then the second that it's like, uh, how about this coaching program or this, this gym membership or whatever or at, equipment for an at home gym even. And then people are up in arms and losing their minds because what a ripoff. And that's so expensive. And you're being scammed. It's like, well, where did you receive this information from? Who told you this in the first place? Um, there's, there's, a um, there's a a really funny analogy I want to use for this. Uh, I heard from in uh, one of the books I read recently called the secrets of the millionaire mind, fantastic book recommended to me by my brother. And the author was talking about the origin. sometimes how silly our beliefs are based on what their origin, where like where they originate, like why, why we believe in the first place. And so he invited family over for Thanksgiving and his wife was adamant on cutting the turkey in half or cutting the big ham in half and cutting off the ends before putting it in the pan. And he's like, why do you do that? And she's like, well, that's the way my mom did it. And then, so then they, they, they're curious. So they called the mom and say, Hey, you know, mom, why don't you cut off the ends of the, the ham before putting it in the pan? And she's like, well, that's the way my mom did it. And then, so they go and they call the grandma and say, Oh, well, why did you cut off the ends of the ham before putting in the pan? And the grandma says, well, because the ham that I bought didn't fit the pan.
1: Oh, interesting. Yeah. And
0: so thinking about like, you're so deeply rooted in this way of thinking or like, it has to be this way. I, I have to Without do this.
1: Questioning I, it.
0: <laughs> I can't spend money on it. But then it's like, wait, where did that belief originate? Yeah. Why do you even know? It's like subconscious. You can't even like fathom a different way, but you're not even questioning why you believe that in the first place.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Well, going back to what you were saying of your parents' story of not being able or thinking going to the gym is expensive. um, What they're really trying to say, and I have an Instagram post for this month that's going to elaborate more on this topic. What you're really trying to say is that right now your health is not a priority and that's okay. Hear me out, Matthias. That's okay because at least they are making a conscious de- decision, an empowering decision of saying, you know what? It's not that important to me. I would say it's probably more empowering if they say, you know what? It's expensive for me. This is not a priority versus like hating on the decision. And if it was important to them and from a socioeconomic point of view, if the gym was genuinely too expensive, Let's get crafty. You know, can we follow a YouTube video? Can you go for a walk? Like, let's get resourceful if it's important to you. Because if it's not, then we won't take action, right? It, that's This is why the first thing I go through with all my clients is um, an assessment of their values. And we strategically, you know, from a wellness and health point of view, cater our wellness intentions towards those values, which... Eliminates cognitive dissonance. Have you heard of that term before? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, when that we have that internal mental conflict, when our values don't align with our actions, we create cognitive resonance when we're in alignment, we're acting in alignment with our values, which is fuel for empowerment, right? When we say what we're going to do, and it's in alignment with who we are and the life we're trying to live, it's like, heck yes, let's do this. I love the (laughs) fact
0: that you you phrased it exactly like that. My health is not a priority right now because I've been in the, in the scenario you were talking about where, when I was living in Toronto and it's like, well, if it's already, you're already kind of on the rocks about how much you spend on rent and where you live and you still want to go to the gym, but can you justify the extra cost? And it's like, well, if you can't, then there's a cheaper gym or you can, go for walks or you can be resourceful, right? There are those alternatives that you can exercise. And it's not to say I don't pass judgment on any person for, oh, well, I work at a good life. And you work on Planet Fitness, so you're lesser than me, or you don't go to the gym. I mean, it's like, well, why don't you? Because the the crazy thing is my eyes became open to this in January. I'd been living in Regina and I've been working a job that I started to realize wasn't really aligning with the values of what I prioritized in my life. And when talking with my younger brother, he's been working with fitness trainers, building their social media. And he was telling me like, Hey man, you should really look at doing this program. I'm like, you know what? I've always been weary about investing money in myself in ways that I haven't before. And because of those old beliefs. And so once I did, it really changed the way that I approached work and that I approached everything in life in general. And I think, That oftentimes people assume that you have to be a fitness coach or you have to be a leader in the industry in order for you to see the importance and the value of it. But once I realized what was important to me, it's like, you can't unsee it. Like you, you, you can't, you can't go back. There's no way like you've taken the red pill. That's it. Like now, you know, like I can't just go and gorge on a cake or this or that every day without thinking about it or sweeping it under the rug or once I can read a nutrition label or once I realize how much I'm walking and tracking that, I think that was the biggest thing for me. And I don't know if you had the same experience and I'm interested to know if once you start to track how much you move, what your movements are doing and how much and what you eat, like Mm. it is... It's the ultimate, like, and, and this is what, I, and, and I know that the avenue you can take with this too is like, what I see sometimes is, you know, I'll see women on more conscious of their health than men for the most part. Like that's a general stereotype. But I think one of the areas in which I see women maybe, maybe be a bit too extreme is like they're too worried or it's too much like what are other people saying? Or what are the strict guidelines and boxes I have to follow within rather than like, well, what makes sense for me? What am I willing to do that makes me feel genuinely good and not because of what other people say?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I was smiling. Um, First off, I want to say like, it's amazing that for, from your story, you got more in tune with you know, tracking and seeing how it was actually impacting you physically and mentally. I think that's amazing. Um, I was smiling as you say that because my coaching style actually pulls women away from tracking because I believe, Matthias, that we all, men and women, have this inner wisdom. Our body knows what it need- needs more than a doctor will know what it needs. So I coach women to take a more intuitive approach. It's not. You know, hitting 10,000 steps. It's walking for how long you want to feel, uh, how long you want to, and then checking in. How did it feel? You know, did any chronic pain come up? Do you feel energized? Um, you know, how was your sleep? How was your mood? Um, same with lifting weights. Lifting weights is a little bit different because we do need to track in order to progress. However, we're not. It's always about the relationship to what you're tracking. That is so important. If everything's helpful, if it's you know, it's a tool that's going to move you forward. I do feel that. As women, we have relied so much on calorie counting, step counting, body fat percentage, muscle percentage, all these things that has, you know, consciously and often subconsciously trained us or conditioned us to determine our worth based on these metrics. And that's what I'm trying to undo for a lot of women. Um, I don't like I stop tracking my steps. I stop tracking my weight. Now I just go based on how I feel. And it's this is what we call movement freedom. This is also very analogous to to food freedom, right? When we're stuck, when we actually withdraw from the ideologies and the practices of diet culture, that's freedom. Um, And you get to experience life at that point, because you're not tied to looking at that damn cookie and thinking that's 100 calories, right? It's like just enjoy the damn cookie, you know, um, enjoy the walk, enjoy the dancing, enjoy lifting weights. Like, um, and I, that's what I believe leads to the long-term success, you know, from my experience with, with coaching women, cause I've coached women who've changed their bodies, Matthias, and they still feel unhappy. They don't feel confident. So, um, I really do think it's an inside out job when it comes I, to it's, health
0: Yeah, uh, that's, um, it's something that I actually talked about with one of my friends we were we were talking about um about some of the issues that guys in the realm of like bodybuilding for example can get really stuck in is oh, it's like sure. the body dysmorphia can just be off the charts the yeah. leaner and leaner you get and it's such a real thing that people don't always understand is they look at someone who like looks super shredded and they're like man that's unreal and I wish I had that and blah 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 and it's like well but oftentimes like if you really think about it what is like in in if you just took bodybuilding and said okay what is the goal of this like what is the thing that people are trying to achieve it's the most crazy looking physique okay but oftentimes and and it's it's very easy for people to to joke and just not really pay too much attention to it, but like this is the way that I've started to, I mean, not that I really gave it much thought before, but I started to to look at that as an example is like, okay, people who are bodybuilders can be super shredded or really muscular or be able to, let's say lift a thousand pounds on a deadlift or whatever it is. But what is the cost of being able to do that? And what price are you willing to pay to be able to do certain things, look a certain way, et cetera. And I think it's it's great that you brought up the point of a feeling freedom within how you move, what you eat, because what might work exactly for you is not going to work for somebody else. And I think it's... Mm -hmm it's really crazy when you think about it. Like, I know that I've, you know, working out and seeing people who get really big and people make compliments to you or say whatever, but it's like, well, if you're bodybuilding, for example, it's like most people who are amongst the top of the top, like do steroids, right? Like what effect do steroids have in your health? Even if you look shredded out of your mind, Or you can lift a thousand pounds or whatever. Is that really serving what you want in the long run? And if it is, hey, great, keep doing it. No problem. It's not against the law, right? But, but for people who see that from the outside and think, "Oh man, if I had this, or when I have that body, or when I when I whatever, and when I'm this weight, then I'll be happy." And then guess what? Your body changes. You're leaner. You you weigh less. You look more muscular. But then it's almost like the inverse where you can keep chasing the horizon, but it never comes.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I want to be clear, like uh, going, I'm not like anti-tracking completely, like there's actually a nutrition module I have in my program where it goes through number one thing most women struggle with getting enough of is protein, right? So I have specific examples of how many grams of protein are in each food. And I think that gives context, right? Um, people who might be struggling with certain conditions, they need to make sure they're eating enough carbohydrates. If that helps you improve your relationship to food and it doesn't become obsessive and dysfunctional and impacts your day-to-day life, then sure. Like it is a tool if it helps you. And that's kind of what, what you alluded to. We, whenever we do something at TS, we have to ask like, what's the intention behind it? Um, I think the law of intentionality is so important because um It it shapes the relationship we have with what, what we're doing. Right. Um, Other, because it can lead to a situation where you're chasing a moving target, just as you mentioned of like, what am I really after? You know, how will I know that I've achieved it when I'm there? Um, Yeah.
0: Or how will you feel more satisfied? Like what will, what will change by the time that you, you get there. Actually, okay. I gotta pull this up here because there's a an amazing, amazing you comment on a YouTube video that I saw and I shared with a friend a few months ago. And the, just when we when we like just sitting down and listening to it was like, wow, this is. I think this applies so much to health and fitness. No matter what path you choose, there are prices to be paid nobody embraces the Zen or tower hippie creative path as much as surfers people who literally ride waves you know the yeah. first lessons that we must learn is that money's not wealth, experience is more valuable than things but by the time you arrive at your goal, it's never what you imagined or expected.
1: Wow, that is profound
0: And it's it, it makes me it makes me so curious as to, When you embarked on training people and coaching people, what did you initially expect when you went into it and how has that changed over time?
1: What did I initially expect and how did it change over time?
0: Like, what was your goal when you first went in? You're like, I want to do this. I think about this. This is who the people I want to help, or this is how I want to help them. This is what I'm aiming for. And how has that evolved in your journey?
1: Well, so I grew up, so I grew up in a traditional Italian household in the sense like my grandparents, I lived with them and I struggled. I mean, I saw them struggle with their health. They, you know, both had diabetes, high blood pressure. My grandfather had an incident where he got a, he fell and he got a cut on his shin and he developed an infection, gangrene, which is, Um, part of having diabetes, that infection can develop, and they had to amputate his leg. And he was wheelchair bound his entire life. And I thought, you know, growing up, like seeing my family members and friends, and, you know, my friend's parents struggle with their health. And I'm like, I'm already at like, you know, 16, 17 years old, like experiencing all the benefits of, you know, becoming more aware of my nutrition, because like, I ate those shitty sat snacks growing up as well, right? Like the Dunkaroos and whatnot. Uh, we also had a, a good food too. Um, you know, I was strength training. I was running like five, 10 kilometers, like I was playing soccer, every sport in, in the book. And I was like, I feel good. And I started learning more about chronic disease, chronic pain, obviously managing my own injuries. So um, I feel like going into it, I knew what to expect because I was a living prodigy of it. And I was like, I want other people to experience this because life is damn good with what I'm doing right now. Um, so how has it evolved? That's an excellent question. And that's actually what led me to help more women. Um, I was actually dealing with some disordered eating and body image struggles and, um, you know, experiencing sexual assault and just... The teasing and the bullying around, honestly, like living in a smaller body, Um, like those comments and experiences were not fun. Um, They made me feel like my body was an object, like my body was in the spotlight, you know, experiencing constant critique. No matter what I did, if I gained weight or I lost weight, someone always had something to say. Um, And women in all body sizes, Matthias experienced this, right? Um, and I was like, no matter what size our body is as women, we're all trying to actually strive for the same thing. And this is in one of the posts that I had, which is how we got connected of, you know, we all want to feel that we're loved, that we're respected, um, that we're worthy. Um, yeah. And that we belong. Right. And that's why I feel no matter how many, you know, how much effort we put into changing our bodies. Most oftentimes, Matias, it doesn't change those feelings because it's within that we need to cultivate those feelings. And and it's a self-worth journey. So it has evolved to helping women because I'm tired of women playing small and feeling powerless and, you know, stuck in diet culture and fitness culture. Like this shit needs to stop, (laughs) So I'm on a mission to help more real women realize that this is in your bio too. Life is about experiencing. It's not about things. It's not about the body. It's not about the relationship. You know, you can chase all these external things. Are you happy and satisfied with yourself? If not, like roll up some sleeves. Let's dig in and let's do the work together. So that's, no,
0: that's the evolution. It's, um... That's a that's a greater question for for people in life is. What do you need to do to feel content and fulfilled within who you are? Because
1: mm-hmm.
0: there's um there's a fitness coach I follow and he 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 brought this point when specifically speaking about women. He was saying you know he's like lots of women will see people who are on the cover of Cosmopolitan magazines or whatever you name it sports illustrate doesn't matter you like, there's a lot of women who will because of the media will see these images of you know girls who are skinny or six-pack or toned or whatever you know all the buzzwords mm-hmm. and what he's saying is if you're not happy let's say if you want to make a change if you are not happy with your body right now then you're not going to be any more happy when you get the one that you're looking for.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, what do we tie our happiness to at the end of the day? And that's what you tie it to, you know, can make or break someone.
0: It's. Yeah. Um, I think of may not, may not be the perfect analogy, but there's um one of the. One of the, the 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 movie moments that actually makes me smile the most. I didn't actually. It, this didn't dawn on me till like a few years ago. Um, I'd i seen this movie as a kid and in the theaters, just Kung Fu Panda. And I remember during COVID, my brother had like, he just started like talking about it, and I was like, I was like, I need to see this again. Like we have all the time in the world. Like the world has stopped turning and all these things. And the scene in the movie where. Tai Lung is chasing the dragon scroll and he, he's like, I will unlock the secret of the, uh, of unlimited power once I get my hands on the dragon scroll to, and I'll become the dragon warrior. And he's like, so filled with hatred and animosity and chasing this thing down. And finally, after all these years, he takes a scroll from Poe and he has it in his hands and opens it up and he can't believe what he sees. He keeps going and going and trying to like, look at it different ways. And he's like, it's nothing. And he says, yeah. And then post sing was like, you know, I didn't get it at first either. There is no secret ingredient. It's just you. You, you, you think that there's this, this big, there's this uh, piece of information you're going to receive or this thing you're going to get that's just going to change everything and your life is going to be totally different. When in reality, it's everything that you have that you want to make you feel fulfilled in your destiny is already within you. And I think that's the thing that's like so crazy to realize is you can chase this dream body. You can chase this, you can chase that. But like what you have, what you need to achieve what you're looking for is already within you. You just need to tap into it.
1: So Matias, this is a dichotomy though, because yes, my, my business coach said this all the time. Like we have everything we need to be successful in any facet of our life within us. There's a dichotomy though. That is empowering and that's also freaking scary. Like to feel like we are very powerful beyond measure is frightening too. And I understand that. So it's like, how do we, how do we, what's the word I'm looking for? This is why I love coaching because it's more of someone walking beside you, slowly drawing those things out in comfortable doses. And then serving it on a platter. It's like, Hey, you look what you just did. (laughs) Like, that was awesome. Let's do more of it. Right. So um, coaches aren't here to tell you what to do. Um, They're here to evoke, uh, evoke those questions out from you and get you to take that empowered action in a way where you feel comfortable stepping into your power and to your success and embracing that. Because for a lot of women, we're taught to be humble, we're taught to be people pleasers and not be celebrated, you know. And like this, this is the work we need to do to be more confident, to be more empowered, and to actually live the life that we're really like we're dying to live, and we just can't can't escape our current belief system. And I want to say body image is a very complex topic, Matthias. Like, you know, we live in a fat phobic society um, a very, you know, body centric society. I really do feel like coaches like myself and other healthcare practitioners are really trying to change the game. So, um, it's really us up to us to show people a different way and to create more demand and more, um, just, just drive for this type of mentality, because I know, like I've worked with hundreds of women and, you know, they're they're on this path and I, I just think there's, there's so much work to be done and we need to do that together. So stepping into our power is scary and uh, interesting thing about the brain. It doesn't know the difference between our body. When we're scared versus excited, the physiological response is the same. It's our brain that attaches the label. I'm scared or I'm excited. And this is why belief system coaching and mindset coaching is so powerful because we can, we can flip that script if we choose to.
0: A hundred percent. You're, you're, you're bang on with that. And that's one of the things that I think is, uh, is so challenging is that it's a lot more mental than it is physical. And when you talk about the, the mentality that people have with how you should look in society, well, I mean, I think like you said, like a lot of it comes down to how you view your fitness journey and, and not necessarily as much about, well, what do I look like? That's all that matters. I mean, if it's important to you, great. But if it's not the only thing that really matters and I think because, and again, with how prominent social media has become in the last five, 10 years, It can really make people think, well, as long as I look good for other people, then that's the only thing that matters. Well, but how do you feel internally and how do you grapple with that every day? Because the only person that is with you at all times is yourself. And if you are tormented by your thoughts or struggle with your perception of yourself, then it doesn't really matter what you look like or what other people say because that's not going to do anything to to dim the thoughts that you have that are maybe destructive or aren't helpful in building you up to to utilize that power that you're you know that we have within us.
1: You're I'm gonna uh, you're making me think of a study. Don't quote me on the numbers. I'm just gonna throw out the numbers out there. They put people in a room. Let's say they. 100 people were a part of the study. Again, just throwing out numbers. And they said to this group of people, you have one of two choices. You can choose to get three electric shocks on your hand or you can be with your to- your thoughts for 10 minutes. What do you think the outcome was?
0: I think I'm familiar with the study. I think it was that people were, were more excited to get shocked than they were to be alone with their thoughts for like 10 minutes.
1: Yeah, yeah. It was like upwards of like 70 to 80%. And that just goes to show like, We're talking like it's it's a mental game. People are scared to be with their thoughts because they can get dark. They can get uncomfortable. So why not just experience the short-term pain so I don't have to experience that long-term, that 10-minute pain with being with myself? And I think the more we can get comfortable, maybe 10 minutes is too long. Okay, can we do a minute? Can we do two minutes? Like what's coming up for you? Um, This is why I believe in therapy and and energy healing. I think there's so much to be said when it comes to looking at a person's health from a holistic point of view, which is why I have many people on my team too, where I refer my clients, hey, do you want to work with a dietitian? Do you want to work with a psychotherapist? Like, um, there's just, it requires a holistic approach. And another thing, you don't have to do it alone, right? You know, we're on this journey together um, as a collective, and we're much better when we're together, in my opinion.
0: Teamwork makes makes the dream work, right? Yeah. (laughs) I didn't want to ask, what was it that made you transition to coaching people online as compared to doing it in person?
1: For me, it was... So I had about... I have 10 years of experience in total, I would say, like, so seven years in seven to eight years in person. Um, When I and so there were the last three years, I was actually purely an online health coach for a software company. Um, So I wasn't doing any kinesiology related work, I was literally just doing health coaching. So um, it's behavior change coaching. So you can use different techniques to help encourage um, people to change their behaviors. So we're talking about like motivational interviewing, accept, uh, acceptance commitment therapy, um, all these different types of talk therapies and techniques to help encourage people change their behaviors. And I did this, I actually went to school before that I got this internship, then they actually hired me online, or sorry, uh, on salary full time. And I got so much experience with the wellness and health coaching that I'm like, this is where the transformation is actually happening. Yes. You know, you can teach people how to lift weights, which which is super important. If you can't encourage the changing of thinking in in someone's life, it's really hard for them to change their life long-term. Um, so that gave me the confidence of like, okay, I'm doing the health coaching online. I have like so much experience coaching people. In person, So I know how bodies move, you know, there's different ways you can use the camera to um, just see different movement. And I was like, I was gassed working in a clinic, I was working in a clinic in person after that. Um, and I wanted to have a more balanced lifestyle. And I was loving the online work and my clients were actually getting better results because my cup was full. I have systems in place with check-ins with programming. I have guest speakers coming in like I am just able to offer so much more um that it's just I don't I don't see myself for a very long time maybe going back to in-person coaching because my life is, has benefited and my clients' life has benefited. So that's it's it's been um a win-win for everyone so that's the pivot I made.
0: What do you think are the benefits of doing online coaching as compared to in person?
1: Definitely more accessible, right? Like the thought of, oh, I got to drive 10 minutes, 20 minutes to a gym, or maybe walk to the gym. Um, Comfort of your own home, like for women who experience um, just like some uncomfortable relationships with their bodies, if they have The comfort of doing it in their home with someone else and then, you know, slowly being encouraged to maybe go to their condo gym or whatever, that is more of a safe space. Um, Yeah, I would say accessibility and the comfort of your own home. And like I said, just the access, you have access to more resources when you're in a community that offers more online resources.
0: Online coaching is something that has gone crazy ever since COVID. And I think that there's a lot of good information out there that is helping people. And I think one thing I'm curious actually to ask you about is the mindset shift. You were talking earlier about, um, you were mentioning earlier the beliefs that people had around money when it came to coaching and fitness et cetera, and how people think that it has to come within traditional forms. Did you always have a mind? Like, did you always have the mindset that you had now? And if you didn't, then where did you learn to foster it and change it in a way that was more helpful for what kind of life you wanted to live and to align more with your values?
1: Mm. Are you talking specifically like the money beliefs, the money mindset?
0: Yeah, that, that would, that would be like the main part of it. And especially as how, how it pertains to, for example, like when people like that in general, as well as the mindset around how you spend money on coaching or education or things that are outside of like institutional norms, essentially.
1: Yeah. That's a great question for me. Like, honestly, I grew up in a low to middle income home. Like my family struggled a lot with money. Um, so the beliefs I had was that money was hard to get. It was hard to earn. Um, there wasn't enough to go around. Um, and that when there was money, then we could be happy. Like those were a lot of the beliefs I've had. Um, don't have them anymore because I've worked with tons of coaches. I've done a lot of healing. Um, and like that doesn't exist in my mind. And like, I feel when it comes to other beliefs around another subset of beliefs, I really had to change was around body image, right? So not attaching my worth to how my body looks, um, was, was a process. And sometimes, you know, what, it, it still comes up of like, okay, you know, I'm feeling this way about my body. And then now I'm just better at coaching myself through, through it. So I don't kind of fall into the, the old belief patterns. Um, And that's, that really helps me become a better coach in that sense. So I really do think when it comes to belief system work, if I didn't have a coach or multiple coaches that supported me through that, and then like got me very intentional with, it's not just saying affirmations of like, you know, I live an abundant life or like, you know, all this stuff. It's really like, how do you create evidence for yourself so that you can tell your brain that this disproves this belief and this approves this belief through your actions so that you can rewire your brain and your thought process, thus your actions to behave differently and more alignment with the beliefs you're trying to reinforce that are going to add to your growth, not take away. So it's, I believe in if I don't have the answers, there's someone out there smarter than me, more experienced that has the answers that can guide me. I will have a coach probably for the rest of my life or some type of, yeah, coach or guiding light for me.
0: How have you responded to any resistance you've met, whether it be from family members, friends, or people in general who who are highly skeptical of those that, whether it be coach online or coach or have a business outside of the traditional norms of, I train people a good life versus I am a coach with an online business around blank. Because I know that definitely that's something that can come up for people who may be exposed to environments that have limiting beliefs or more traditional beliefs, so to speak.
1: Yeah, I think the superpower every coach has is curiosity. So I always lead with that of... You know, what makes you think that way? Like, where did that belief come? Like, what was your experience? Did you have a bad experience with it? So, for me, it's all about I think skepticism is a great quality. And I think if we meet people with understanding their skepticism, getting curious, that really opens up their door to potentially shift their beliefs or get more curious. It's never about, um, you know, attacking them or making them defensive. It's like lead with curiosity because. Maybe they don't even know why they have those beliefs. And if you can give them a, con- a container to explore that, it's like, ah, oh, Michelle, I never actually thought of that. Like, and if they want to engage in that conversation, you can help facilitate it. Right. So I think leading with curiosity is the best thing many of us can do.
0: That's uh, a fantastic point. And it actually makes me think of something I read in a book called How to Have. Impossible conversations, and one of the things that the author has suggested was he's like first, never state your opinion. Second, use the unread library effect. So when having conversations with people, what often happens is people will will have a re- list of reasons for an answer, and then you continue to be curious and curious to higher and higher degrees. Eventually, eventually until a point where they realize, well, you know what? I actually don't know the answer to that. And then once they don't know, and once they have that doubt in their minds, then it makes them actually more open to exploring and figuring out the answer for themselves rather than having it spoon fed to them or rather than digging their heels into a belief that they don't understand why they have in the first place.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I feel that, um, it's so tempting to, because if we are so passionate about our beliefs that, you know, it creates this frustration within us and like, we want to voice that. It's also like thinking, how is this going to help this interaction? If I blow up and I say what I believe in, like what, and that's a whole another conversation of like, a lot of the reasons why we might say things is because we want to feel, we want to feed our ego. We want to be right. And if if we actually take our ego out of the conversation and ask like, okay, what is the intention with this conversation? And maybe it's to have an intelligent, you know, dialogue between two people, maybe, you know, just being curious. If you kind of take the pressure off that, like it just makes the conversation more fun. And um, I think it helps both parties develop um, personally through that interaction. So yeah, I like the open library idea just it's definitely more expansive and doesn't feel attacking.
0: Before we wrap up on today's episode, I always ask a question of each guest that reflects in hindsight. And if you could give advice to someone who is in their twenties that wanted to gain knowledge and insight from the experiences you've had since then, what advice would you give them? Whether it be around fitness, health, mindset, body image, whatever you think would be the most helpful.
1: Hmm. Well, I think this is something I did in my 20s, especially when I was in a dark place, is like ask for help. Um, I do feel that it's easier when you have support through these things and like I think in our 20s what we're struggling with most is like figuring out who we are Um, and I think we put a lot of like unnecessary pressure on ourselves to have our life sorted out by a certain stage and um, I do think that can cause more mental turmoil um, if not managed like as productively as possible So I would say ask for help. And one thing I really enjoyed about what I did in my 20s is, and well, and I still do is like, find a way to be of service, like volunteering your time, um, pursuing meaningful work, that meaningful work for you, not like work someone is telling you to do. um, Because that feels very good to know that you're helping someone and you're also kind of feeding your soul in that way of Bringing more meaning and purpose into your life when during a time, like during a time that feels that I don't know what the heck I'm doing. It's just like, like lead with your heart, be of service, ask ask for help and um, know that this is a journey you don't have to walk alone. Um, and for anyone in their 20s that's listening, like I do mentorship pro bono. So if you have a question, like you can reach out to me, we can book an one hour call and um, we can tease out if you're stuck during a certain you know, point in your life and you're looking for some guidance, Like I would love to help tease that out with you because that's something that I had throughout my 20s, just a lot of people to lean on. And it feels so good to be able to help someone gain clarity in their life when it's very precarious and uncertain.
0: Michelle, I want to thank you for having been on today's episode. It was fantastic getting to learn more of your insights around your philosophy with health and wellness as well as to understand the importance of shifting your mindset with learning how to evolve as you continue on a growth journey and also for the guests like like you just said that please reach out if you ever feel that you need help and make sure to check out her social media handles as well those will be linked in the description so Michelle thanks again so much for having been on today's episode it was fantastic getting to chat with you
1: Matthias i was i'm so grateful for this container you ask really good questions i mean i spoke of things that i haven't really spoke of publicly so you're very crafty at asking uh, effective questions and for the listener out there um if anything resonated with you i'm sure you know matthias and i would love to hear from you Um, And if there's anything either one of us can do to support you, like, please, please lean on us. And also, especially for the ladies that are listening to this, I want you to really think about what your life could look like if you were stepping into the higher version of yourself. And I want you to really understand that you have the power within you to navigate the waters you're currently navigating and that you don't have to do it alone, because you are so powerful, and the world deserves to see you shine. So thank you for lending Matias now your ears today. So grateful for it. And uh yeah, here to help in any way I can.